Good morning, friends. So glad to be with you. In this, our second Sunday of Advent. Let's pray together. Lord, your coming can be as quiet as a baby's arrival in a stable far off the beaten path. But we also know that your arrival ignites a revolution. Help us bring our hopes and our longings to you now. Come and start something new in us. Remove all the boundaries and barriers that we've set that distance us from you and one another. Come close, God, and hold us close. Amen. It's good, friends, to be on this journey of Advent together in this season. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Advent means coming or arrival. It's the season at the start of the church's calendar where we're looking forward to Jesus' coming. In the mystery of the incarnation, this baby in Bethlehem, who is also a king and a liberator, And we look forward to Jesus' return to complete the work of making all things new. It's a time of longing, a time of expectation, anticipation. We're yearning for a change in our lives, in the world around us. We're waiting in hope that God is indeed bringing all the healing and change that we need, that our world needs. It's my experience that Christmas is so much more meaningful when we've pressed in together to this preparation journey in Advent. You know, alongside all our holiday preparations, we ask one another, what is the spiritual preparation that you need to do, what we need to do to prepare for Christmas, for Christ's coming this year? Before, before we can sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come, we have to consider what What is our need for a savior? What are we waiting for? What promises, what hopes do we need to see fulfilled? Why is this coming of Jesus good news for you and for me and for the whole world? These are the kinds of questions that we can be reflecting on and working on together throughout this season. Last week in the first Sunday of Advent, Pastor Gavin and Mr. Rogers, if you were here, uh, helped us to look at the promises that came to the prophet Isaiah in the midst of a time of civil war. One day Isaiah saw all the nations are going to go to God together. The The wolf will live with the lamb. Wars will cease as the people beat their swords into plowshares, Isaiah says. And all this will be possible because of the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. With all of us, not my people or your people, not us and them anymore, all the people. So Jesus, we're told in Matthew 1.23, Jesus came to be our Emmanuel, God with us. And so during this season... Uh, our, our kind of focus as we, as we tell the story together, as we learn the story together, as we live the story together, our focus is that our God is an immigrant God. 
And that's why we have this image as we say, people on the way this morning. We have an immigrant God. We don't have a God who stands far away and waits for us to come. We have a God who comes to us. We can go to God because God immigrated to us first. God crosses the border, the boundary between heaven and earth. God and humanity in Jesus for us. What a journey. God's always been pursuing us and calling us home. And so before Jesus' arrival, there were people who were anticipating his coming and sought to prepare the way for him. How do we prepare that way? I think that's part of what we're here to to learn, to reflect on together. I once saw a bumper sticker, and it said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. Is that how we feel? Jesus is coming. Look busy. Isn't that the way we see it? Get your act together. Clean up your room. Jesus is on the way. It's a little like when your teacher or your parents said, I'm, I'm going to head out for just a minute. Be good while I'm gone. And of course, what did you do? Well, you stationed someone by the door as a lookout to, for everybody. And then when the lookout goes, everyone goes crazy while, while the parent's gone. And then the lookout says, Oh, she's coming, she's coming, and everyone scampers, right, to get back into your places, to straighten everything up. And I think this morning, John the Baptist seems a little bit like that lookout, right? <laughs> Somebody's coming. To the people in, of Jerusalem and Judea, John the Baptist looked a lot like the Elijah that they'd been waiting for. Prophet Elijah, they'd been waiting for, to return for uh, 800 years or so. Second uh, Kings 1.8 tells us the prophet Elijah had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. Sound familiar? Malachi 3 and 4 at the end of the Hebrew Bible say Elijah is going to come before the day of the Lord. So if Elijah is here returning in the person of John the Baptist, this is a big deal. Lots of lights are going off at this point as we meet John the Baptist. John comes quoting Isaiah chapter 40 saying, prepare the way of the Lord who's coming, the one who's coming to bring hope and healing and restoration to this people in captivity, this people in exile in Isaiah. And John comes baptizing Jews in the desert, which again is setting off alarms. This is an unusual thing. Usually baptism was for new converts to Judaism. And so John is calling in the wilderness, proclaiming this new beginning, this new exodus for God's people, that they would go again through the waters of baptism into the promised land. John is proclaiming a new beginning for the people who repent, who turn around, who change their hearts and lives, change their story. Turn to God. So John is on the margins, in the wilderness, His words come as a challenge, most of all to these religious insiders, right? These temple keepers who usually have the say over who's in and who's out. The Pharisees prided themselves on their purity. It was how they kept the identity of a people uh, in captivity. They prided themselves in the... They might have thought, or some may have thought, what, what do we have to repent of? 
John says in verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit, evidence, this translation said, the inclusive Bible, evidence that shows that you've changed. Changed from what? Most of all, John says, change from any of your religious or ethnocentric pride. Change from the arrogance or the entitlement that you might feel. Don't think you can say, we have Abraham and Sarah as our parents. Don't think you can presume that you're God's only chosen people, that God owes you, or that you're an insider who's entitled by your place and family of birth. God, John says, can raise up children of Abraham even from these stones. You can't presume God's realm, God's kingdom is just for you. That it entitles you. Are you really, he asks, are you really producing the fruit that shows that you're aligned with the ways of God's reign? Your will be done on earth as in heaven. But here, I think, is maybe where John got it wrong. John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus, but I don't think John had his cousin, Jesus' good news message, all the way down quite yet. And we're going to be learning more about that as, as, as Jesus comes. But I don't, I don't know that John had it completely down yet. Clearly, the, fat, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious elites, they had something, they had to look for something new that they would even be out there in the wilderness listening to John, coming for baptism, seeking the way of this coming Messiah. These who came, they were already out in the wilderness. They were already seeking something new. So if God could raise up children of Abraham and Sarah out of these stones, even the religious ones saw the need for this new start in baptism, maybe, maybe they weren't all just a brood of vipers. If even stones could become children, why not these? Maybe God was doing something new that involved the most unlikely people, even if that's the religious ones. John needed eyes to see that that could even include the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if we're honest this morning, I think we all have people like that, that we could say, how could that person possibly be welcomed by God? Those are probably the people who we most need to see God's heart and hospitality and welcome for. Our enemies, the overlooked ones, the ones who seem most unlikely and unfit. What do we need to do to prepare the way for the Lord, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, as Luke 117 shares, that saying that John will do? Certainly the coming of this new king and his kingdom is going to require repentance, is going to require a turning around, a new way, a change of our hearts and lives. It is a revolution. But I think what God most requires at first is a humility, a desire for God's new way, a desire for God to lead and deliver us where we know that we can't go, we can't do it all on our own. We think sometimes that we need, this is the, the bad way religion can work sometimes, we think that we have to get clean, that we have to get right in order for God to come into our lives. Jesus is coming. Look busy. 
But mostly, I think repentance comes after we've started this life with Jesus. And he shapes us into new life. Not in order to get clean. We don't have to do that in order to get clean enough that he might come. Right? So too often, I think we churchy people can say, get your life together. Then come get baptized. And then come to church. And I think we ought to say... Come seek the God who has already come to us in the midst of all our junk and our baggage and our wounds. And let him put our lives together. Let him put us on a new path. Do we have to produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Yes, but not before we get started on the journey. So we have to open ourselves to Jesus' arrival. We have to let Jesus bear fruit in and with and through We don't have to get right to to convince him to come. We just have to be open. As Jesus shows up in our lives, he will bring a change. Repentance then is aligning ourselves with what God is up to. With Jesus' way of true life. Connectedness with God and each other. God's work in the world for healing. God's creation. The initial repentance that we need to prepare the way is simply saying, you're welcome here, God. You can tell me what to do from here. I want your way and not my own. More repentance is going to come after that. We're repenting all the time on this journey, changing, growing. But you don't have to have it all figured out just yet. So part of preparing the way is not, I think, getting in the... Another way that we need to prepare the way is not getting in the way of other people looking to come. Even those most unlikely candidates in your mind. So, friends, what does it mean for us to be open to Jesus coming and doing something new in our lives? Are we open to him coming and being for other people too? People of other places and persuasions. People who might not seem very Jesus-y to you or me. Could Jesus welcome your enemy? A scoundrel, a transgressor, someone very rich, someone very poor, someone of a different politics or culture or perspective or behavior. Another of the lectionary texts assigned for today is Romans 15. And Romans 15, 13 says, Welcome each other in the same way that Christ also welcomed you. Welcome each other in the same way that Christ also welcomed you. Welcome each other because Christ welcomed you. Prepare the way for Jesus' coming, but also prepare the way for one another. Prepare the way for this unlikely family of insiders and outsiders now together. Gentiles were the religious outsiders in this worldview that said that there were Jews and then there was everyone else. Or on the other side of the aisle where Romans said there was Rome, and then there was everyone else. In Jesus, we're reminded that God always had this plan to unite all people to praise God with one voice. There are no more outsiders. And so, as we look to our journey today and our world now, and the fruit in keeping with repentance, what what it looks like as we invite God in, I think one one. Just very clear um, application for me is that we have to remember that we cannot call any people illegal, to use the language of our immigration system. 
We believe and we are shown in Jesus that all are God's beloved. And so welcome one another. What does it mean for us to prepare the way for the Lord this Advent? Are you welcoming his arrival and the change that it brings, not only for yourself, but for whomever you might see as the most unlikely candidate for God's kingdom? How might you extend God's invitation to new people, to those sometimes deemed outsiders? How can you do that today? How can you do that this week, extend God's welcome? It helps me this morning, and I hope it helps you to remember that I can never repent enough. I can never make myself righteous enough. I can never make myself legal or documented enough in order to enter into God's realm, into God's family. If I had to make myself right by how I obey the law, I would have no chance. So instead, I have to open myself up to Jesus as the one who comes to us. I have to rely on his righteousness and his faith. And so, indeed, life in him will change me. But, friends, let's not put the cart before the horse for me or for others. First, we come to life in him. And then we begin to repent and change and bear fruit in keeping with this new life in us. First things first. Are we welcoming him? Are we taking down unnecessary barriers that keep ourselves and others away? Prepare the way of the Lord. I'm so grateful for this community and the ways that we do that. We practice radical hospitality together. We live out and we witness and we teach God's radical hospitality, real open doors. You know, when we had 100 or 150 or 200 or 400 people some nights sleeping here with the migrant shelter, <laughs> Travis Park, y'all did not bat an eye. And that is a gift. You didn't ask if we were going to provide shelter. <laughs> we worked on how we were going to do it. And so now as we're rebuilding with the building, we're asking, how can we make this a more welcoming and accessible place? a tool in our ministry to share God's love and God's good news in the center of our city. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful for Corazon Ministries this morning, our hospitality to folks who are living on the street, for the ways that they've committed and gone on working out of the Migrant Resource Center a block away um, when, when we couldn't uh, have everything here. And part of why I'm grateful for Corazon Ministries is because it reminds me of God's hospitality to me. And I am blessed when I get to be in those Thursday and Friday Bible studies with folks who come from a different place and might read the scriptures differently than I do. That's a blessing. I'm grateful for all of you who show up early and you make pancakes, even on Marathon Day, like today, who make the journey and get to know someone new. You know, not many churches have the privilege or choose to walk with a migrant mom going into labor, dealing with a foreign system in a foreign language. Having a baby is hard enough. Helping welcome this new baby in the middle of the night. Not many get to do that, but we've done that multiple times this year. Some of you have been here in those moments. That, friends, is an Advent story. God is showing up with new life and a fresh start if we will perceive it and join in. 
So we get to decide, will every heart prepare him room? Will we say yes to God with hospitality like Mary had? Offering her life plans, offering her very body for God to birth something new in her. Or are we the people who say, sorry, no room in the inn. I hope this Advent will be a time for us to grow in our personal hospitality as well. What spiritual practices can help you open yourself to God speaking to you, directing your steps? Our family's been enjoying the Advent activity calendar. I think we have some copies of that still around uh, that Erica, our children's director, put together. Uh, we're enjoying this family time each night of lighting the Advent wreath, sharing a reading, praying together. Who might you invite to join with you in the Advent journey? How can you get to know someone new in this congregation? Who might love to be asked to come along with you in the activities that you're already doing? And do you have a friend, a neighbor, a coworker who, especially in this season, could really use an invitation? And we have those invitations for you. They are in your bulletin right here. You could hand this to someone and say, hey, come check something out with me. It's been meaningful to me. Inviting folks to church, I think, can be intimidating for lots of us. But it is easier to do, I think, in this season. For a lot of people, uh, you know, one of the main reasons that they aren't part of a church community is that they haven't been invited or they haven't felt truly welcomed. So in this season, we have lots of easy asks, not just Sunday mornings. You know, so today, our sanctuary choir is singing with the San Antonio Chamber Choir and Corazon's brand new Alamo City Street Choir that we heard here in worship. They helped lead us a couple of weeks ago. That's an awesome thing that I am so excited to be a part of, and we can invite folks. Next Sunday is the all-music Sunday that we do during Advent each year, and we can invite folks. People are looking for a place to be on Christmas Eve, and we can invite folks. We're going caroling a couple of times. Check it out in your newsletter. That's a super fun time, and we can invite folks. Pub theology on Wednesday nights starts good conversations in an informal atmosphere, and we can invite folks. We have an ice rink across the street. Ask someone new to try one of these things with you, and then simply ask, what did you think? What did you think? Jesus is on a journey with us, toward us, for us. Will we prepare the way? Or will we get in the way? Or will we miss it all together? I'll end with this. Pastor Bob Ekblad writes of the smugglers who lead people across the border, across the desert, into the perceived promised land of America. These are people known as coyotes. People pay $2,000 or $5,000 or $7,000 for this coyote to ferry them across the border. And I think we tend to think of God and the church as being like the border patrol. The border patrol for God's realm. Policing righteousness, deciding who might be worthy enough to come in or not. We presume on our own righteousness by our birthright, but then we hold others to a much stricter standard. And meanwhile, people are being taken advantage of by the people who are actually offering to be journey companions. 
So Ekblad writes about all this, and then he says, Jesus, Jesus is el buen coyote, the good coyote, embracing those who cannot fulfill the legal requirements to enter the reign of God on their own, carrying them across the border. Jesus carries them across the border into new realm and new life, new family. And as Jesus does this, the only righteous and law-fulfilling one who's carrying us unrighteous ones into righteousness The walls and the boundaries and the barriers between God and people, between people and one another, those walls come down. And our job then, we can learn, isn't to police the kingdom's border, decide who's worthy to come in or not. If we're going to prepare the way, if we're going to make straight paths for El Buen Coyote, I have to see that I don't measure up on my own. Neither does anyone else. That's grace. And we all need a savior to carry us across. So the first step of preparation for this coming king and his reign is not to show how worthy I am, but how needy. And so we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Work in me the fruit that I could never produce. Take me on the journey I could never complete on my own. I haven't arrived, God, So I need you to come and carry me. I need you to come and carry us all into true freedom and life. May it be so. Amen. As we continue in our worship together and our prayers together, I want to look around this room and how beautiful it is for Christmas. I see the tinsel hanging, and I remember that just a few weeks ago, all this stuff was under that roof that collapsed on the second floor, and we got it out, and we cleaned it up, and we put it back up. Kind of a cool, kind of a cool story if you think about it. So when you see this green when we're praying together, you can think of that and how things can always be restored. At this time, you can come and present your prayers, uh, hand them to me, and give me a hug or shake my hand, and uh, we'll add that to the list that we collected this morning at Corazon, and uh, we'll give our prayers up to God. At this time, you can come forward.